It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 182, King Hosea, the End of Aram, and the Investiture of Samaria. When all seemed lost, while two armies surrounded Jerusalem, death was overtaking Jerusalem. Even after Isaiah's prophecy to him, Ahaz sent multiple riders out of his city to approach the king of Samaria. Some of them were successful in getting out of the enveloping army's encirclement and rode as fast as they could towards Assyria. In the end, a rider made it to Nineveh, and begging for the king of Assyria's support, volunteering vast treasures despite an invasion that had already started of Aram and Damascus by Assyria. Being escorted by the king's guard, the rider from Jerusalem didn't fail to notice the war footing. It was clear the well-equipped boot-wearing Assyrian army was already on the ready to attack Israel and Aram. Regardless, the envoy delivered the message volunteering submission of Judah and vast treasures for Assyria's assistance. 2 Kings 16.7 So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and for the hand of the king of Israel, who rose up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house, and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus, took it, carried its people captive to Ker, and killed Rezin. The siege of Jerusalem hadn't lasted more than a year, by King Rezin of Damascus and Pekah of Samaria before the Assyrians attacked in the north. Most likely immediately upon Isaiah's prophecy of the virgin birth, the invasion preparations were nearly complete and the attack began. Submission by Ahaz and golden treasures taken from God's temple were not necessary. Upon the Assyrian invasion, the siege of Jerusalem was lifted, and Rezin rushed home to defend his capital Damascus and Pekah, his homeland Israel. Their venture in Judah was not only over, but it exposed them to a grave flank attack by the world's largest and most formidable army. It was like they were playing a game of risk and trying to capture the other guy's capital to get the cards or the spoils in a bid for more power before the next person attacked them but they ran out of steam at Jerusalem. I just wonder how Pekah even made it back in time to get in Damascus to rally his people. History records there was a siege. Some records state it lasted years, and Damascus finally surrendered. Tiglath-Pileser put resin to death. His nobles were impaled upon stakes, and the city was burned, and every city in the region was leveled. The 800 Damascus citizens of nobility were led away as captives to Assyria. Then Tiglad proceeded to conquer all of Aram, and showing a new level of empire building, he incorporated Aram into the empire of Assyria, ending the Aramean dynasty forever. He didn't annex Aram like others had done. He ended its kingdom and made it a province of his empire. The entire death of the Aramean kingdom just happened. Northern Israel's foe for generations 
died that day. A principality has fallen and another has risen. That whole prince of Persia, demon, principality thing from the book of Daniel, now it's the prince of Assyria who's dominating the landscape with armed might. Next, Tidlath invaded northern Israel, taking and incorporating most of the northern portion into his kingdom. And instead of conquering Samaria, he didn't have to. Pekah the king was assassinated by one of his servants, Hosea, actually it was one of his friends and confidants, who sued for peace with the king of Assyria, becoming a vassal of Assyria as Tiglath consolidated his empire, incorporating Aram as a new province, with Samaria subject to him and Judah paying tribute to him as well. He probably considered himself in a very good place, with a nice buffer between Assyria and Egypt until Assyria was ready to invade Egypt, its long-term goal. Tiglath is an empire builder, and he reformed the army in its provinces and dramatically increased the prestige and power of Assyria. He dies with a very solid succession plan and well-organized army and empire, and he is replaced by Shalmaneser V, and he is going to prove to be a powerful, feared ruler as well. Now we have to take the view from the perspective of northern Israel now. Northern Israel is a tiny state now with a capital in Samaria. It's a hillish kingdom with little to show for it. All of its provinces and plains are conquered. There are some other fortress towns, but from the outside perspective, it's an average state with some prestige or great pride and heritage, but no match to its neighbors and overlord. It's honestly a joke militarily and no match for Assyria. Northern Israel in the world's eyes was a little pawn on the world stage. And why am I talking this way about Israel, God's land? That's because the people pretty much surrendered Israel to its worldly fate. The only thing that could save Israel at this point is repentance and a people turning to God, a prophet or intercessor, someone please pray for northern Israel. All we have is prophecies of destruction coming and little record of any intercession. God has turned his face at the horrible sin in northern Israel, only atonement and relationship intercession could save the state of northern Israel. Instead, we get a king who, like all the others, who assassinates the previous king and tries to rule the way the world rules, only accelerating God's judgment and the inevitable invasion by a foreign power and destruction. In Judah, I get that Ahaz is a paranoid kind of king, kind of crazy. He's running around and hiding, and people probably don't see him much. And after the siege, like Manasseh after him, he'll be withdrawn and scared and probably full of trauma from the year's previous events. He's going to probably make a point to be a decent father, though, to his successor, Hezekiah, at this point. Hezekiah, the world awaits you. So Hosea is a puppet king of Shalmaneser V. There's a lot of jockeying at this point with Egypt and Assyria because the remaining world powers are these two empires. Egypt seems to be courting Judah and Israel to rebel against Assyria. But I don't get the feel from the biblical account Hosea really knew he could challenge, truly challenge Assyria, but he definitely wanted to kind of play the game um, and gain more influence and power. But what he did was he overstepped Assyria, maybe trying to jockey for a position, whatever it is, 
the Assyrian king just called him on the mat. Second Kings 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, son of Eli, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hosea, who had been Shalmaneser's vessel, and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hosea was a traitor, and he sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore Shalmaneser seized him, put him in prison, and the king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marching against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. So there you go. The armies of Mordor are parked outside the gates of Menestetith, and all that was considered good is threatened. Death to northern Israel as a nation is before us. The three-year siege of Samaria and the end of an age will be covered in the next episode. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's consider the nations. Assyria is powerful and threatening and only growing in power. Egypt is jockeying for power and Israel is stuck in the middle. Think of Israel in the time of the Cold War like Eastern and Western Germany. It's the fragmented state of Eastern and Western Germany, sandwiched between the two world superpowers backed by US or the Soviet Union. Israel's only hope was a miracle. Their only hope was to return to the God of their ancestors. God is the only one above nation states and raging kings and armies. It's just wild to me to consider that Hosea didn't turn to God. In the face of hundreds of thousands of enemy soldiers and a war footing all over the nations and violence overtaking societies and people getting uprooted from their foundations, the death of Aram and King Rezin, assassination after assassination, and the prophecies of words of upcoming doom. And despite all of this, no repentance time and time again, warning after warning, the end was near and coming fast. We get to see a stark contrast upcoming as Israel failed to repent, but Judah does. And we get to see how God is more powerful than the nations and their gods and their kings and their armies. Yet for northern Israel, they have given up on God and he has turned his hand of protection away from them. It's amazing. Jesus died on the cross for sin and to become the atonement for all sin. His death redeemed the world, but don't to only those who accept it. Here's an example. If one of your coworkers brought you a gift and he gave it to you at work, but you decided you didn't want to accept the gift, the gift was not received or accepted. The purposeful intention of your coworker to bring you a gift was rejected. Thus you never received the blessing of the gift. It doesn't have to be a coworker. It could be any example you can think of. But the gift has to be received. The gift was not received or accepted by northern Israel. Jesus died for our sins. We have to accept this and receive the gift of salvation and what his death brought for us. Atonement of sins, forgiveness of sins, removal of shame, and the renewal of relationship with God. God has already offered everything to us. Those prophets who prophesied doomed to northern Israel, hidden in that message of judgment, is a message of hope and redemption. 
God has already offered everything to us. We just have to accept his gift and ask for his forgiveness and mercy and grace. It's not that complicated. This submission opens the door for God to work on our behalf, on our heart, and to gift us with his perspective and faith in our heart. Here is northern Israel at the point of its destruction. A final invitation was offered by prophets. The siege of Samaria was to last three years. and We have no record of any in repentance at this time. We have a king, and it says that he was bad, but he wasn't as bad as the others. <laughs> That's as good as we get. Three full years, and there's no record of anyone calling out to God. It's such a picture of the end of the end of the age where people have hardened their hearts beyond change. It's like Pharaoh before the Red Sea, ignorantly, unknowingly staring into death itself. But here's the thing. We are never, never, never too far from God. We are never too far from God. We are never too far from God. When all seems lost, when the end is near, and we think we have hardened our hearts too much. We live in an age and a time when the Lord is calling back his people, his sons and daughters. Even if you are surrounded by death itself, call upon his name. Call upon the one who is above kingdoms and kings and even armies. He is never too far from saving. Hezekiah will not fail to run to the throne of God, presenting to God the blasphemy of a foreign king about to destroy him. Hosea failed to do this. Thousands of others failed to even repent. Do not be like them. Repent before it's too late. Death is the most inevitable thing about life, but nobody knows when. If you are like these Israelites, do not fail to repent and pray for yourself and your family, friends, and your city. When destruction is haunting you, repent because God has already opened the door to save you and your family and your city. Get on your knees and repent and call upon God to save you. One of the easiest and most powerful prayers in all of world history is simply this. God, save me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.